0: Thank you choir. James chapter 2 verses 1 through 13. James chapter 2. We've been going on a journey through the book of James the past few weeks and today we come to James chapter 2. The problem with partiality. The problem with partiality. The thing about the book of James is it's just right in your face. James doesn't beat around the bush, he just goes straight to the heart of the matter. And if you like plain talk, then you will appreciate this book even more. The problem with partiality. Partiality is when we are partial to one type of person over another. And we expect that from a lost and broken world, right? For people to be partial to whoever they like the most or whoever they are alike. But when it comes to believers, people that have been transferred out of the darkness into the light, God expects His people to be very different. He expects His people to love all people, no matter what. It's not just a good suggestion, but He commands. He expects it from us. Do you ever judge people? Do you ever have a judgmental thoughts in your heart. I saw a video a few weeks ago of a man that got into a shark tank and they put the tank down in the water and there's a lot of great white sharks swimming around and I could not help think but this man does not have a brain. And then this shark like an 18, 20 foot shark gets inside of the shark tank. Just bust through it. And then it, it fights around in there for a while, and then the shark comes out of the shark tank, and there's a scuba diver inside of there. Eventually, after a while, then the guy comes back out of the water, not a scratch on him, and I'm thinking, I, I judge this guy. Do you ever judge people? What about when you're watching a movie, and it's always the... Especially if it's a scary scene, it's always the the white teenager that runs toward the danger, right? And you're always like, well, does she not? What is she thinking? Why, why run to the danger? Here's something that made me become very judgmental. There's a sport called ferret legging. Ferret legging. Has anyone ever heard of this sport? It's an endurance test started by coal miners in England. You tie up your pants with the belt at the top and you tie up the bottom of your pants legs and you put two ferrets inside of your pants and you see who can last the longest. One of the rules is that each ferret must have a full set of teeth. We do silly things also, don't we? How many of us have stood at the elevator and pressed the button at the elevator more than once expecting it to go faster? Anyone? When it comes to judging people, the Lord wants us to realize that's His job and not ours. And we can you know, just take that off your to-do list. Just be relieved of that. That's not what God expects of us. So let's see what James has to say. James chapter 2. We're going to read the first, first two verses. And then we will pray. Please stand in the honor of reading God's Word. The charge is really in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes, also comes in... Let's continue reading verse 3. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say you shall sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Let's pray. God, we ask you right now to speak to your people. God, it's been a long week and we need a fresh word from you. God, we need you to fill us with your spirit. God, we need you to unplug our ears and and open our eyes to see the mystery of of your word. And God, help it to, to fill us up. God, would you speak to us? God, would you share things with us, Lord, that we may not want to hear? God, give us a heart that is open-minded to the truths in your word. God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. God, I pray that you would remove my flesh from this situation. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In verse 1, there's a command. Show no partiality as you hold to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're walking by faith, if you're seeking to be on mission, if you're seeking to walk with God, to be partial to other people for whatever circumstance is wrong. Showing partiality, it crushes our witness in Christ. Because when, we're, when we show partiality to people, regardless of why, it declares... That the gospel is not true. It declares that it actually does matter in eternity things that really do not matter. Look at verse 2. It says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes to your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And so James gives us this great illustration. And if you treat the poor man one way, and you treat the rich man another way, it's wrong. It's not Christ-like. That's not, who, that's not what Christ would do. The word shabby, it's a great word, shabby. Man, has your wife ever told you that you're shabby? That would hurt. That's a pain. That's a strong word. Shabby. The Greek word is drupiros, and it means filthy. Filthy. Not only does it just mean filthy like physically, but it also means morally dirty. So filthy in every way. And God expects us to love the dirty, filthy, morally, and physically just as much as the clean man or woman physically and spiritually. Because that's what God does for all people. Jesus hung out with some shabby fellows and what happened? It offended the religious crowd when he ate with some pretty filthy people. Now, he didn't hang out with these guys and women just because. He didn't endorse their sin. He didn't encourage it. But he had purpose. He was intentional whenever he hung out with sinners to draw them out of the darkness into the light. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not the tax collectors do the same. So, have we been partial? Have we been judgmental? Strong stuff. Verse 3 gives a great illustration talking about basically assigned seats to the poor man and the rich man. I don't know if this has ever happened in our church. I'm not aware of it. Oh goodness, I hope it would never happen. But there's been some situations in churches that I have served in, at least one, actually two, two separate locations, where a person on a Sunday told a guest that they were in their seat. And as a pastor, there's nothing more embarrassing and heart-aching and heartbreaking than that. Now, guest, if if anyone if our church ever does that. Make sure to tell us about it, and we will take them out back. Because <laughs> that's, that's not the heart of our church members. And most of the time, those kind of people with that attitude, they're not even faithful church members. They'll show up once a, once a year and then expect that one seat to always be theirs. When we start assigning seats in the church house, it become more like a secular school system than a house of worship. It's ridiculous. But entitlement can creep into our heart, right? Entitlement, a prerogative, a a claim that we deserve special treatment. Doesn't that aren't we like that sometimes? Based on our actions or based on our skin color or our prestige or what we've done in our life? Jesus said in Luke chapter ten that when we've done all that we should do, we should say we are only unworthy servants. Is that your heart today? Is that my heart? Has entitlement creeped into your life in any way? We should never think that we're better than someone else. And we should never let anyone else tell us that they are better than us, right? But entitlement is killing churches all over the world today. I heard Greg Laurie say a few weeks ago, we will either evangelize or we will fossilize. That's true. We're either going to evangelize and make disciples and care about reaching people, or we're going to become, we will become self consumed and focused all about us and what pleases us. That's not a biblical church. Too many church members have a Burger King mentality. They have a Burger King consumer mentality when they should have a Chick fil A producer mentality. Burger King, famous slogan. Have it your way, right? Well, that spilled over into the church. And it poisoned us to make us think the church is about us. But it's really about the Lord, right? Should be all about Him. Shouldn't be what songs do we sing to make us feel good. What songs does God want us to sing? How does He want to receive worship and praise? Do you have a Burger King mentality today? When you go to Chick fil A and you order one of those amazing peach milkshakes they serve in the summer, and what do they say whenever you say thank you? What, do they, what does the cashier say? My pleasure. And I always say, no, the pleasure's all mine. It's my pleasure that you find pleasure in serving me this pleasureful milkshake. Verse 4 basically says, do not be a judge. Don't do it. Verse 4 says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James said, hey, don't become a judge. You don't have to be. Take that off your to-do list. Relax, man. Just don't worry about being a judge. We, we don't have to be a judge. God has not called anyone to be a judge. Now, he has called us to be fruit inspectors sometimes, to, to test fruit in the church. But, friend, we're not even on the jury. We're more, we should be more like the guard you know, the guard standing beside the prisoner. We should be the one leading people to the judge, giving directions. In a trial, it doesn't matter what the guard thinks about the trial, does it? His thoughts, his, her thoughts are irrelevant to the case. His or her job is to help keep the one on trial from hurting themselves and other people. And the truth is, we're all on trial. We are all... Stand guilty before God, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. The, the, The ground at the foot of the cross is even. God is no respecter of persons. We are all just beggars trying to tell other beggars where to find bread. That's what we are. Verse 5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not has God, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Whoa, this is radical. This is not what our culture wants to talk about. James was talking about physically poor. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? God has chosen those who are poor. Listen to this History of God Using the Poor. Some of these thoughts are from J. Vernon McGee. Jesus wasn't born with a spoon in his mouth, he was born in poverty, he was born in a borrowed stable. He had to borrow sandwiches to feed thousands of people. He spoke from a borrowed boat because he didn't have a boat. He never owned a place even to lay his head. He borrowed a coin to illustrate truth because he didn't have a coin. He borrowed a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. He borrowed a room to celebrate the Passover. He died on a borrowed cross. It was not his. It was Barabbas's cross. Jesus didn't even have a cross. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And even if he did own the tomb, he would have never needed that anyways. Wow. You see the example? You see what God did when he, when he chose how to come into the world? He could have come in any palace he wanted to. He could have come to any family, any, any time in history. And he chose to come to be the, the baby of a teenage girl from the backside of nowhere. From a place that was not the 4th of July destination. Nazareth was just a, a, a nowhere place. And then to be born in Bethlehem. And then not only that, if if we couldn't figure it out by then that it's not about having anything in this life, but all about serving the King of Kings, he chose twelve disciples. And guess what? He didn't go to the best and brightest seminaries to find them. He didn't go to the who's who all American students in America. He found guys that didn't make the cut. That did not make it in the school system and had to go back home to work the family trade. Twelve poor, young, uneducated men that he poured his life into. I wonder how many in our churches today that we would not give the disciples the time of day if they showed up for various reasons. Maybe they're too young. Maybe their beard is too scraggly. Maybe they didn't go to the right school. Maybe they would be considered slouches. Maybe their sandals would be considered offensive by the religious crowd. Would you today, if, you were, if, the, the, if the deacon said, Hey, we got a lot going on, and the disciples showed up to worship at our church today, and, and you, we want you to take them out to lunch. Would you be embarrassed if you took the disciples and transplanted them hundreds of years later to modern day culture? What if the Apostle Thomas was sitting right next to you in church during worship? The Apostle Thomas is sitting next to you. He's no longer doubting. He believes with all his heart. And it comes time to sing about the Lord. You think Thomas is going to sing loud? You better believe it. He's about to praise the Lord. He doesn't care what any of us think about it. Would you be embarrassed if he started singing really loud? Or would you say, yeah, come on, man, let's sing to the Lord. Sad truth is, many of us, we'd be embarrassed. The disciples looked more like young men from Saudi Arabia than Americans. Jesus Christ came for the rich and the poor, the white man, the black man, the Chinese man, the Indian man, the Spanish man, the albino man, the Amazon man, the Aborigines man, and women. And sometimes the poorest man or woman in the church is the richest spiritually. Did you know that? Sometimes the physically the most poor are the richest spiritually. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, God has a concern for the poor. Job chapter 29 says, I delivered the poor who cried for help. Psalm chapter 9 verse 18 says, for the needy shall not always be forgotten and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. And we could go on and on about all the scripture talking about God's heart for the poor. Let's transition to think about race, what we get uncomfortable talking about today in our culture, but what, there's 7 billion people roughly in our world on this speck of a speck of a speck called Earth. We looked at that last week, right? Last week we talked about the planets and the stars, those of you that are guests. But roughly only 1 billion people out of 7 billion are, would be considered Caucasian. I would say white people. And sometimes the white people act like they're 3 billion or 4 billion, but that's not really true. Only 1 billion people. You guys know the Tower of Babel and all that. That's where all this race stuff happened, but really we're all in one race. The book of Acts says that we all came from one race, from one man. Actually, in seven, chapter 17, verse 26, if from one man he made every nation of men to inhabit the whole earth, and he determined their appointed times and boundaries of their lands. That's what happened. If you struggled with languages, college student in the house today, if you struggle, high school student, if you struggle with Spanish or Latin, it's all because of sin. So just get mad at the devil the tower of babel is when all these languages happened now jesus commanded us go make disciples of all nations shouldn't that be important to us the word nation it comes from the greek word that means ethnic basically and so which means anthropologists would say a people group so jesus said basically go make disciples of all people groups There's 268 nations in the world today, but there's thousands of people groups. In fact, there's 17,000 people groups on planet Earth. 17,000. There's 7,050 that are considered unreached. Unreached. What does unreached mean? It means they do not have a thriving church that can make disciples, they do not have strong access to the gospel. In other words, no one's going and searching for them. And all the easy places have access to the gospel, by the way. It's it's the hard places where those unreached people groups. In fact, the majority of those are in the 1040 window in Southeast Asia. Genesis chapter 1, God told Abraham that all nations will be blessed through you. See, God has the nations and people from every tribe, tongue, and nation on his heart. Genesis through Revelation. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Some of us are going to get to heaven and we're going to be so shocked we're going to pass out. That it's not going to look like this. I'm not being ugly, just being truthful. It's in the word. It's going to be very different. We may not be singing songs out of a Baptist hymnal. We may not be singing the most popular praise chorus. We may be singing in Hebrew for all we know. It's going to be awesome. And we probably will have Chick-fil-A milkshakes. (laughs) Or something better. Something better. Do you have a racist heart? Many times I do. I'm the first to say it. It's in me. It's in my blood. Listen to this incredible, one of the most famous, best-known sentences in the English language from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what makes 4th of July a big deal. Our nation has done more for rights, I would say, than just about every other country in history. Yet, when this was penned, slavery was still legal in America. That's tragic. Thankfully, slavery no longer exists in America in the form that it did, but there still is modern-day slavery. There's more slaves today in 2017 around the world than there ever has been in history. And that comes in many different forms and, and, and example, some of the people that are working on cruise ships today, I would consider that a form of modern-day slavery. Some of those people have not been off those ships in years. Some of those people on those ships cannot even call home because it's too expensive to call their families. There's more sex slaves today in the world than ever before in the history of the world. You may say, well, my favorite basketball player or my favorite football player or my favorite golfer, he's from Australia or he's from... Scotland or he's a different color than me, and so that doesn't that makes me i'm not a racist friend denial is a racist best friend, and I'm not saying we're all racist that's not what I'm saying, but I think God wants us to look at this scripture and examine our heart and say, have we been partial to people because they're like us or because of their skin color or have we been impartial to people because of their skin color or because of their background or because they Came from a different socioeconomic status than us. I want to share a story about William Carey, the father of modern missions. 1761, he was born. At the age of 17, he, started being, he was a shoe cobbler. And that same year, he accepted Christ. He came to know Jesus, changed his life. And he worked on shoes, and he began to study Hebrew and Greek so he could understand the word more clearly. I guess he didn't trust King James enough. So he started studying the Hebrew and the Greek. And there he was. And and a church said, Hey, will you become be our pastor? And so that's how he came into the ministry. And so he became a bivocational pastor. He would work on shoes and be a pastor of a local church. And then one day he was convinced in his study that Christians are responsible for getting the gospel to the whole world. Now isn't that radical? That God would expect people that are set free to go tell other people how to be set free. Believe it or not, that's actually what we're supposed to be about. Making disciples. I don't know how we got off from that in America, but we do a good job of that. But William Carey, he, he wanted to be faithful to the word. And so he he went to share this truth with these incredible pastors that he respected. And he began to share how the Great Commission, there's no way for it to be exclusively for them alone, that they were responsible for taking the gospel to the whole world. Well, William Carey was surprised because one of those pastors, actually the man that baptized him, stood up and said, Young man, sit down and shut up. When God wants to convert the heathen, he will do it without consulting either you or me. Pretty strong. Broke William Carey's heart. He began to search out the scripture more. He thought, maybe I'm wrong. And after many years of study, he was more convinced than ever. God's word does not stutter. And he wrote wrote a book, still read today. The title of it is terrible. The book publishers today would say this is the worst title ever, but the title was An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathen. That's a mouthful. Father of Modern Missions because he lived it and he went and it started the greatest missions movement since early church. William Carey went to India by ship. Took his wife, who really didn't want to go, but she went. His son passed away when he was five years old. His little boy passed away. His wife passed away. He got married again. His second wife passed away. And in the first seven years, not one person came to know Christ. I don't know about you, but I would have packed it up and went home. But he didn't. He stayed. Uneducated, didn't graduate high school, didn't graduate college. God doesn't call the equipped, He equips the called. Can anybody testify to that? William Carey founded the Christian, helped found really the Baptist church in India, the school system that they still use today, the postal system that they still use today. The Baptist seminary he started is still training people in ministry today. And he tr- helped translate Scripture into over 40 languages. 40 languages. Uneducated person. He helped stop the practice of widow-burning A Hindu, ancient Hindu practice that burned widows, which was an idea straight from the enemy. He helped ban that practice in India. Today, William Carey is still a hero if you go to India. Now, people would have called him, and they did call him all kinds of names because he cared for the heathen. But he understood that his Jesus died on the cross for all people. Do you care about all people today? We should love each other as we love ourselves. Do you want somebody to love you based on your skin color? What if your skin color wasn't the color that it is? Would you want somebody to treat you bad because of your clothes? Because you work a certain job? You guys see this ridiculous coat that I have on? There's a story behind it. There's two reasons I wear a ridiculous coat. The first is because it's $25, sports coat. Nobody wants to wear the the bright coats because they look ridiculous. The second reason is growing up out in the country where I grew up, you would get beat up at school for having bright colors on. Just, you didn't do that. And so I had dark gray, gray, black, dark black and light black, dark navy, navy blue, and dark maroon colors in my closet and then I had another section in my closet that had all these bright frou-frou colors that my grandma bought me every Christmas she would buy me these clothes that were ridiculous I, I was never going to wear them and so I just put them in the closet and many times didn't even take the tags off my grandmother was like my best friend she was the stuff, she was awesome You guys know what I'm talking about. That love grandmother has for a grandchild is powerful. And when my grandmother passed away in uh, 2006, I said, you know what, to honor her life, I'm going to do what she always wanted me to do, but that I would never do, is wear bright colors. And so since then, I've been wearing ridiculous clothes in honor of her. Now, here's my point. Here's the illustration. You may have sized me up this morning as being loud or being a fruit loop or being a little messed up in the head because of my bright jacket. But you didn't know the story behind it, did you? Now, how many times do we size up people in our culture because of things like that? When well, we don't know the whole story. We may not know that that the clothes they got were on sale. It may have been a gift from someone. The point is, we need to stop being judged and start loving people like Christ loves us. Verse 10. Well, let's not skip verse 5-6. Verse, uh, verse through six talks about Verse 6 says, But you have dishonored the poor man, not the rich ones who oppress you. So in James' day, it was the rich Pharisees, Sadducees, who were the ones that were oppressing the tax collectors. So James is saying, basically, do not be like those guys. In verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So there you go. You want the point from today's sermon? Love your neighbor as yourself. Easy to say, hard to do. Easy to say, hard to apply to our life. The only way to do it is to rest crucified. Die to what we think in our flesh and our own thoughts. And let the spirit inside of us love people regardless of what they can do for us. If we love only those who love us and are like us, what reward is there in that? Jesus said, Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul, uh, James says, You are doing well. But if you show partiality, here's the warning you are committing sin and are convicted by the law. Wow, it's sin. It's not just unhealthy behavior, but it is sin to Almighty God. And to show us the severity of it, look at verse 10. Whoever keeps the law, the whole law, but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who. Are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You see how random it is that James brings up murder and adultery right after he's talking about being judgmental and being partial to people based on their clothes or their status or their race? You think this is serious for the Lord today? You think this sin is what holds back churches from reaching people all the time? Absolutely. God cares about it, whether we do or not. Because he died for all people. The Lord wishes for none to perish, but all to come to repentance. And how much does it break the Lord's heart when he loves them just as much as he loves us, and yet we won't even pursue them because they don't look like us. Essentially what James is saying through verses 10 through 13 is better to be a dirty, rotten sinner with mercy on your life from God than to be a self-righteous Pharisee who is shown no mercy. Ignorant people think they are better than someone else. Ignorant people believe that their race is superior to another. And God has no patience nor tolerance for it. He takes it very serious. So today, we're about to have an invitation here soon. And if you just need to whisper to God, Father, I've been a racist. Lord, I have sized up people in many different ways this week. God, would you forgive me? Help me to look at people through the, through the lens of Christ. God, help me to have a heart that cares and is broken for what your heart's broken for. You can do that right where you're sitting. You can do that up here at the altar. It's open. It's available. For all eternity, we're going to worship the Lord with people from every tribe, tongue, nation. It's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. It's not going to be about us at all. It's going to be all about the Lord. Don't you want your church to be biblical, to be shaped into a church that, that is filled with diversity, economic and social levels, preferences, styles, and tastes. Don't you want that? A biblical church, that's what it looks like. That's open to reaching all people. Today, maybe you don't know Christ. You may say, you know, I don't think I know the Lord. Because all the stuff you're talking about doesn't make any sense this morning. And if that's you, friend, you need to let Christ come into your life. You need to Confess your lifestyle of sin. Place your faith in Jesus Christ and invite Him to be the Lord and Savior. He's the one that does the saving. He'll take 99 steps if you take one towards Him. He initiates it. You respond. He opens your eyes and helps you see your need of a Savior and you respond. You receive that gift of salvation. If that's you this morning, friend, I want to ask you to come come and know Christ. Come be set free from your old broken heart and God will give you a new heart and He'll place His Spirit inside of you. He'll set you free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Maybe this morning you've been praying about thinking um, where to worship God. And if that's the case, we'd love to talk with you about that. We're wide open to come talk with you this week, later on in the week. Anytime you can come to us, we'll come to you. It doesn't matter. If you want to be a part of a church family that loves all people, a church family that loves each other, we'd love for you to come worship with us. But if you want to come worship in a church that only looks like you and just wants to come coast on Sundays, we'd encourage you to go to a different church. There's a lot of churches that do just that. But we want to reach the whole world from right here in Bay St. Louis at this church. We want to follow the Lord no matter what. We want to be about Him and His kingdom, not ours. Let's pray.